You're listening to Sunday Service, a live stream of the Grad School Confessional podcast, where we rant about the inner workings of the Ivory Tower of Academia in a mildly qualified way. I'm your host, Dr. Yoa Sway, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anna Sway. Today, we're discussing the quantified academic. So, what do I mean by the quantified academic? Well, essentially, as an academic, we are subject to a lot of different metrics, a lot of different ways in which we can quantify our productivity, our success, our output. And because of this, we kind of have shaped the way that academia and research is done around these metrics and kind of distorted it around it. Um, And so today I want to talk about a lot of different things, but I guess one thing that we can kind of obviously start with is perhaps the metric of uh, productivity that we most often use, which is publications and the number of publications. Oh my God. I don't want to publish anymore. That's that's where I'm coming at it. No? (laughs) Okay. So I feel like the number keeps going up every year and it varies by field, right? Mm Because you have like humanities that are publishing books, I think. I don't know. Um, And then you have like us and health sciences that are publishing articles, but I feel like the number is going up every year. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my one of my girlfriends was saying how her supervisor was actually up for tenure and um, she was basically up for tenure with the number of publications after working for the university for what, three years um, with the same number of publications as somebody who already had tenure and had been working for the institution for like 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so like you're basically expected to meet a 15 year old threshold of publications within three years if you want tenure. And I think that is ridiculous. It's yeah. And I totally agree. Like this idea that we're slowly not even slowly, I feel like in the last decade, we've just accelerated the amount of publications that you need to, you know, attain the similar position, yeah. like you're saying, right? Like we have one friend who um, recently got a position, like I think five years ago, right? Five or six years ago as an assistant prof. And, you know, they had, I think they said like 19 publications or something like that, mm-hmm. like to get their position. And that was after a year of postdocing, you know, and then I'm, you know, looking into these positions now too. And that's about right, like 19 to 20. We're talking like at least double digits, probably, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was going to be over 20 now. And I think part of the reason, you know, that it's becoming so much higher is a result of two things, right? It's kind of like economics in a way. It's like supply and demand. You have this, you know, increase in the number of people who are doing higher education, completing higher education. So, you know, masters, PhDs, postdocs, but at the same time, you know, universities aren't at a capacity to be able to take on multiple assistant professors, particularly when, you know, the research that they're doing is oftentimes either redundant or it overlaps or, you know, maybe it just isn't really as, you know, uh, lucrative in terms of getting grants and stuff, mm-hmm. which is a whole other thing, too. But I think because of that, we have a lot of almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like uh, fabricated competition or just like competition. Artificial? Artificial competition, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, in a way. And so we're just kind of forced to compete with each other. And the way that we do that best is through this arbitrary sort of metric of publications, right? It's like, don't even worry about what's actually in the paper itself. The mere fact that you have more of these things than somebody else is a sign, right? It's like, oh, you must be more productive or you must be doing more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for, for sure, like... 
Nobody is going to read those papers. Yeah, Nobody. no, definitely not. Like a, a hiring committee, if you have someone who's got like 20 publications and you have another person who's got like, you know, 15 publications, you're not going to be like, well, you know, let's assess the quality of each publication. It's like, what does it go? <laughs> Bring this into another metric. Oh, what journal was it published in? How many times was it cited? Right. Yes. Well, that's another thing, right? Like we have journal metrics. We have journal impact factors. And I I think it's ridiculous because you have something like nature, you have something like The Lancet and humanities, sociologists, even health sociologists, they're not publishing in those journals because they're not basic sciences. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our journals, the Journal of Medicine and Society or yeah, Journal of Medicine and Society, um, it peaks at 16 like that is mm -hmm. our top journal. It has an impact factor of 16 compared to nature, which is like what a bajillion. <laughs> it's definitely high for sure. And like there's these this idea of like a, a luxury or almost like a um, celebrity journal almost. Right. Like they're yeah. really just publishing these really remarkable findings and whatnot. But it's not. If you actually if you actually go through and you start reading it, you're like have the Hmm. Trying really hard not to swear. <laughs> it's so hard. Um, half of the things that are getting published there, they're getting published because something similar was found by a different lab that just didn't have the money to publish in nature. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's definitely like um, exclusive in that way. It's very limiting, you know. Um, it's exclusive to people who obviously can't afford it. Uh, and it, I think the entire system of, you know, quantifying an academic kind of begets more quantification, right? Like more reliance on it. So for example, if you're getting in grants, right, you now have the money to run more studies, to publish in these higher impact journals, which then demonstrates to the university that you are successful, that you can bring in, consistently bring in this kind of stuff. And then that's going to get you, you know, to tenure faster. That's going to get you more students. That's going to get you better opportunities. And so in a way, you know, productivity and these metrics beget themselves. Yeah, the rich get richer. And my new favorite thing is like social media engagement. <laughs> um, it's like. What don't you like about it? Sorry? What don't you like about it? Okay. First of all, I'm a millennial. I grew up without technology being ever pervasive. Um, and so as I grew up, I learned three or four platforms and I was like, this is good. Yeah. Um, and then now I have to learn more and more platforms. And I mean, I, I don't think I don't think Twitter is new by any means mm -hmm. anymore, but more so in academia now you have to have a Twitter following. You have to be engaging with quote unquote the public on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a terrible idea. That is an awful idea. What's that? Whoever like on a hiring committee at some point decided, okay, because what happens on Twitter is that like you can tweet at people and you can tweet like generally within your bubble or your community, sure. but it will get picked up by a stream of people who are not part of that community. So regardless of how nuanced you you were being in, what was the threshold now? 200, 200 characters? 
I I don't even know actually 200 250 whatever it is whatever it is I'm an elder millennial <laughs> um it'll get picked up it'll get misinterpreted and universities are like here go yeah. do this engage with the public whatever you tweet if it falls flat or forbid it stirs some controversy yeah. we're going to abandon you without a life vest um but you know keep doing it and uh if you're successful and you have like for academics i think like 11,000 15,000 followers is like whole what yeah. that's successful i thought like dude <laughs> most academics that i follow have like less than 500 followers yeah yeah but they're not okay okay they're not they're well, not well, they're like reputable in their field and i think that's the difference right like i oh, think sure. the point that I'm, you're trying to draw here is that success and productivity on social media is not representative of like success as an academic but what we've done is we've just decided to kind of add on this metric as like a well you might as well throw this on too because you know we have this general idea that social media engagement is important right um insofar as it can be used as a tool for dissemination or as a tool for engaging with the public and access like that but generally yeah 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 exactly but in practice it doesn't right like in practice Social media can be used in any number of ways, let alone like just giving your crap opinion of just like what something is. Right. And, and so many academics do. Yeah. Yeah. And so many academics do. But I think it's ridiculous because now you're like you have this other thing that you need to do. And there's <laughs> there's so much research by the same people who are on Twitter to show what a cesspool Twitter is. Yeah. And. Yet universities are like, you know how social media is terrible for your mental health? We want you to be honest. <laughs> That's yeah, like, okay, yeah. imagine with anything else. Imagine if you were an academic and you were in a lab that was like smoking. <laughs> Sorry, dogs are fighting. Dudley. <laughs> the joys of live streaming from a room with two medium sized anyway imagine you're in a room studying smoking cessation mm -hmm. or like consequences of smoking and you uh found that smoking causes lung cancer and your university's like yeah but to keep your job we want you to keep smoking one pack a day yeah you're like i feel like yeah you're misinterpreting a lot of things yeah, and I, but there's a difference between like the intention that we have for people to use something the way we want them to and then how they actually use it but i think it also is reflective of how we treat every other metric for an academic, right? It's that we don't actually care about the work that goes into it. We don't actually care about the specifics of that thing. At the end of the day, it's a number, and it's a number that we can use to compare you to other people, right? The number of followers you have, the number of like, you know, uh, uh, I think it's called an impact that your tweet garners, right? And so. What? Yeah, yeah, and you're, you don't know this? On your Twitter, you can, like, go and see, like, how many people have actually, like, looked and stopped on your tweet without actually... I am an elder millennial. I oh, don't man, know. okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a technophobe. I'm just... I, I hope I, not. You're literally every podcast where, like, you do digital health research. I know, but I cannot be arsed. <laughs> oh, my god! It's just, it's another thing, right? Because as an academic, you're, like... You got to supervise students. Mm -hmm. You got to run research. You got to apply for grants. You have to manage your two dogs. Um, and then now on top of that, you have to run a successful social media page. Come on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You're I'm already paying my own salary, basically. Yeah, basically. Basically. So what else? What else do you want from us? Mm-hmm. And like it it also feeds into this idea that, you know, the time that is needed to devote into these things, like you don't need to have a social media presence. It's not part of your job, but it is one of those things where if you're not putting in time, certainly not with your paid time, let's not, let's be real, you're not getting yeah. paid to be on social media, yeah. but the time that you are spending on your free time should be put towards, you know, building your engagement, building your social media following, making sure you're all lot right? And like, I don't want to just focus on social media because, you know, there's obviously a lot of other things as well. I feel like most of the, like the metrics that we use, right, are products of work that is not necessarily part of our job description or extends beyond just like the 40 hours that most people would have for a full-time job, right? Like, <laughs> 40 hours. yeah, exactly, right? Like you're, you're basically working all the time because you're thinking about your work all the time right and then because of that you're doing it because you need to get these metrics you need to be thinking about the next project like even now i would say this is probably like a slower period of time um within like my own research program where like i don't have as much of my own stuff going on and even then i'm still like i have this like looming anxiety about I need to have the next project or next three projects ready to go or at least in the works so that I can continue this train of productivity. I don't slow down, you know, because momentum is also so much more difficult to maintain. And this is what irritates me so much. It's like all of (laughs) we corporatized the university. Mm -hmm. We we made it into a business and we try to sell like this vision to people coming into academia Mm -hmm. that it's not a business but it is and like you're not the one you're not the one making money off of it right yeah yeah and all of these metrics all of it is like it's completely arbitrary right it's completely arbitrary and you know universities use use the metrics to justify it's like well we want you to be doing research that's being used Mm -hmm. right yeah, like at its core, I don't think that it's a bad, like I don't think there's ill intention behind it, right? Like you obviously want people who are doing good research, you know, whatever that means. And you obviously want people who are making an impact with their research and that it's being used. And because like how else are you going to justify to like undergrads and parents of like students that, hey, come to our university. We have this like groundbreaking research that's happening. And so I feel like because of this idea of, okay, well, we need these things to happen. We want good research. We want good academics, but we don't know how to actually go into these specific niche fields and be like, oh, yeah, but this is what would be good. This is what looks good. This is what's being taken up. It's like, no, we need just like to distill everything about you into a series of numbers or a number. And that's what's going to be yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. But then what happens is you you have people who want to get hired. And so they start splicing their findings, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They start trying to distill all of their research to what is the smallest publishable unit. And who is that helping? Mm-hmm. That's not helping anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily good science. It's not necessarily yeah. like, and, and also I think what it leads to is this very safe, very like gradual difference or change in research right it's like oh well this thing is just only slightly different than the last thing yeah and so for example for sociology and i speak from 
that background mm-hmm. because that's what I'm engaged in. The most sociology is kind of having a little bit of a crisis right now because what's happening is it's moving forward so fast. Mm-hmm. People are putting forth theories and frameworks and mm-hmm. whatever else as fast as they can. And nobody has the time to have a broader theory and to kind of sit in it and percolate and write something that is super meaningful. So you have social theories that are getting put forth and then not being used Mm -hmm. or being overshadowed by new ones, like on a monthly basis. Right. And if you're a sociologist and you know, you want to do research in the field and you want to write, like you're not catching up. Mm -hmm. I get I get tremendous anxiety just like with social Twitter mm-hmm. and techno social Twitter, seeing the bulk of literature that is coming out. You mm-hmm. can't catch up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like to to the, that exact um, sentiment, if you're putting out all this research and this research is barely different than the last research, but it's all coming out. It's all new stuff mm-hmm. that you need to catch up on. Read like who can who has the time now to like read all of that stuff. Right. And to be able to like understand where where the field is at right like don't get me wrong i'm not saying don't read papers don't try and understand what your field is that's the message don't read yeah, papers. don't read papers that's don't what, go I, further than the i abstract. never read papers <laughs> all you need is the abstract man that's what i've learned you're okay yeah but no but like outside of that it's so hard to be able to stay up stay up to date with everything because everyone keeps on putting out something else that's like kind of different right not really and then sometimes you read things and you're like did this did this need to go out like did this need to publish i feel like that about a lot of my own work not because i think it's bad work but because i'm like is this just further saturating the field mm-hmm. or is it actually pushing the field forward yeah like am i doing this research because i like this research or am i doing this research because like there's like, it looked like it was, you know, kind of convenient. I could have like done this. I thought there was a, a like a gap here, albeit like a very small one. And it's just kind of like, yeah, I'll just write this paper, do this research yeah. and put it out. And I do feel that way about a lot of other aspects too, like not just papers, right? Like when you think even now about, it's not just about writing the paper and doing the research. It's also just about being on papers. Yeah. Like I think it breeds this culture of, I need to be involved as in as many things as I can, but to like the smallest quantifiable degree. Like, what is the role of a fourth or fifth author on a paper? Like at that point, you know, <laughs> I brew. If they're the not coffee. the last author, yeah, like kind of yeah. right. I was in the room and I like knew enough about the project. Yeah. <sighs> and then what that does is fundamentally, you're like, oh, this person is on other people's papers. They're collaborating. You're like, what is the value mm-hmm. of that collaboration? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. What What are we doing to the word collaboration when collaboration entails? I looked over a draft. Yeah, I'm not saying you shouldn't like be helping people out and editing their work, but is is does that warrant authorship? Yeah, no, exactly. Like you're putting in this work and you're being like, okay, as first author, I am. Let's be real. Doing the entire project, more or less, right? You're the driving force. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then you got your last author who's like, you know, supervising everything and whatever. And like, you know, we joke about that, right? Last author is just there to put their name on signs off on the ethics. But then, you know, like what warrants authorship sometimes? Like sometimes 
you have someone do your stats for you and they're like, okay, well, I'm only going to do your stats for you if I'm on this paper. And like, okay, fine. You're not getting paid for it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But I, there's standards for authorship that some organizations have put out. Right. And like, as a rule of thumb, one thing I've heard is if the paper would not be in the form that it is Mm -hmm. right. And the form that it gets published in without your help, right. Then you deserve authorship. Right. Because that has been informed by what you like directly have put in. But like just looking over a paper and I'm guilty of this, too, like just looking over a paper, editing it, like I don't think that warrants authorship, you know, like yeah. that's what reviewers do. And reviewers aren't going to get authorship. I was literally <laughs> just going to say that. I'm like, I should be on so many other people. Yeah, right. Like like on, in that in that definition, by the way, reviewers should definitely be on these papers because they're making these papers better or presumably or worse, <laughs> whatever. Um but yeah, and one of the things too, I think, is we don't standardize the reporting of, you know, who does what necessarily. Like some I mean, journals do some this. Some journals are starting to, yeah. Yeah, right. You have like these guidelines, like okay, so who did what about the research, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that's that's better. But who puts that in their CV? Like, do you write on your CV, oh, I was third author, but I did all of this stuff for this project? No. Like, no. And no. fundamentally, I don't think anyone hiring me for a job is going to care. Yeah, it's just like, where you want it, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's like, how many first authors did you have? And how many other, like, just general publications do you have? And then, too, like, you got into the idea of, like, okay, well, then there's also so many, like, you got into the whole splicing of your data thing. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, like, okay, well, what other kinds of publications can I get, right? What is the smallest unit of a publication? Okay, okay. In terms of that, I literally, and this is when, like, COVID was peak COVID, Peak COVID, classic COVID. Classic COVID. I saw a commentary that came out, a commentary that was, I kid you not, probably 800 words, and it had 12 authors on it. Wow. I was like, did all of you, was this like, have you ever done that activity in camp where you have to write a story? <laughs> Say one word. <laughs> I'm like, did each of you contribute a single word? Um <laughs> And I mean, all of these people are rightfully experts in their own sure. kind of thing, but, but. Yeah. But like, what know? does he really, you know, do you really deserve it? Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. 12 authors. Seriously. What kind of mad lips? <laughs> <laughs> Commentary. <laughs> Everyone contributed like one idea and then the one per first author is just like. You got to put it all together. I, I'm pretty sure everybody's contribution except the first authors was, yeah, you can put me on this paper. <laughs> that yeah. was the extent. And then, oh, and then the, my bet, the favorite is just like, yeah, I paid for this study. <laughs> put me on the paper. I paid for it. Like, okay, being a sugar daddy is does not warrant authorship. <laughs> that should be, that's going to be a quote if I ever have a lab. Yeah. It's just like, being a sugar daddy does not warrant authorship. <laughs> I will have it framed. Of my office door, <laughs> sugar mama. No, I get you. I get you. Sugar, sugar person. Sugar person. That just sounds strange. <laughs> that just sounds like a diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But I'm um, so yeah. So I think we've raised like a lot of good points about it. Like social media, for one, is kind of this like auxiliary and totally. Um, what's the opposite of mandatory? Optional. optional, yeah, a totally kind of a totally not mandatory, um, optional thing, but then you know obviously impacts your hiring, obviously impacts your <gasps> reputation, and then you get into publications, which is like kind of our bread and butter. And one of the things that I dislike so much about this system is that it like leverages academics 
for these metrics, right? Like you want these things, even if you don't want a social media following, if you don't want to be involved in social media. You kind of have to be. You kind of have to. Yeah. And I just this was just a um, idea that I had when you engage in genuine knowledge translation mm-hmm. that. And again, this will kind of come down to metrics, but when you go ahead and you publish blog posts and things like that, like you have published with an online, I would say they're a blog mm-hmm. um, called The Conversation. And your articles have gone over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. reads. And like, I don't know, how do you weigh that against somebody who has 11,000 followers mm-hmm. for whatever reason and once a month they're just like hey i published this paper in this journal yeah 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 right and like you know obviously there's a lot of research out there that kind of um tries to demonstrate the difference between knowledge dissemination versus knowledge translation and knowledge utilization and mobilization and you know all of these differentizations right of knowledge yeah, yeah. um but you're totally right in that we have a difficulty in also understanding the impact of our research, right? Yeah. The impact of our research traditionally is just what? Citations, right? Like how many other people have read your paper and we're like, you know what? I took something from this and I'm going to write another paper myself. And I'm going to mention your paper in it. Yeah. And it's kind of like the original shout out, right? <laughs> like <laughs> research shout out. Um, the academic shout out. But I like, I freaking hate that. I have 10 other people in my field. Not fair. <laughs> yeah. And like it's it's not a fair metric in the sense that, you know, not every field is going to be as, I suppose, broadly applicable. Yeah. Right. And then also, too, it depends on like what sort of aspect of your field you're in. Right. Like if you're a doing um, even health research. Right. Yeah. My work, which does like, you know, these large scale interventions or is looking at these like, you know, psychological effects, it's very like grounded theory stuff, right? Like, oh, this leads to this, this causes this, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. Right? That stuff is way more likely to be cited than some like really complex or overarching social theory, even if that social theory has a lot of like value to it, right? Yeah. Or if it's critical, in which point people are just like... <laughs> we just don't like critical research. I don't like it. Critical... Nobody hates critical research like other critical researchers. <laughs> Damn critical researchers ruining critical research. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, not only that. So because citations are, you know, the the metric by which we're like, OK, that's the impact of your research. It becomes increasingly important for academics to publish in these journals that almost like promise a certain number of citations. Right. Which the impact factor. Also like a lie. Yeah. We published like we published in a journal that has what 15 impact factor? What? Or what? Wait, we did? Technology and society. Oh, dude, no, not even close to 15. Okay, it's like, like 5. five. <laughs> okay, 5. But like nobody has cited our thing. Mostly because we basically said an entire field doesn't exist or should seriously re-pivot the way it's measuring things. Yeah, yeah, but, for sure. But you know what? I did get, uh, you know, some stuff has come out of that, right? Like, we did write that one conversation article about it. But again, right? Like, yeah. I got like 15,000 views or something. Yeah. Reads. And I have people requesting the full manuscript all the time. Yeah. So people are reading it. They just don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> Do you give them the manuscript, though? Huh? 
You gotta give them the manuscript. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course I do. That's, see, that's knowledge dissemination. That's like knowledge translation. You're sharing. I am. Sharing yeah. is caring. <laughs> no, I, I hate the fact that I have to like repeatedly year after year, like go to my university and be like, was this enough? And the thing is, and the thing is like, Nobody will tell you the exact number. Oh, yeah. No. Especially with hiring committees. Everyone's like, it's about fit. It's about fit. And you're like, what the hell is fit? Right? <laughs> Does and, your CV fit into this square of length? Yeah, exactly. Right? You're like, yeah, maybe it's about fit. But the first step is the number of citations. Yeah. And, you know, sorry, not citations, publications. Mm-hmm. And within that, it's like... Did you go to this university and do you know somebody on the hiring committee? In which case, the threshold is way lower. Yeah. But it's not like people are openly posting this. Like this mm-hmm. year, for people who got tenure track positions in health sciences, the average number of publications yeah. was this. Yeah. That would be super helpful because I came across a paper that said, on average, across health sciences or life sciences, I think it was life sciences, across life sciences, for people to get a tenure track position, they had 4.5 publications. And I read that and I said, that's bullshit. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. No, they did not. And it was from like, I mean, it was outdated. It's probably like 2011 or 2012 yeah, paper. Yeah. But. Yeah, no, I mean, it just goes to show you, if anything, how things have like exponentially accelerated. But there has right. to be a ceiling, right? There has yeah. to be a ceiling. And, well, I mean, it's, it's a really good point that you raised, too, that I just want to touch back on, is that there's no transparency to this kind of thing. And I think the reason there's no transparency is also because it's entirely arbitrary, right? Like, you can't have a standard for something that doesn't have a standard, like inherently has, like, how are you going to justify that? Oh, yeah, 20 publications. Why? I don't know. It's a nice round number. Like, we just, <laughs> we were just feeling that this year, right? Like, you know what this feels like? It's imagine the Olympics when they do like the high jump. Yeah. They were blindfolded all the way until <laughs> like you don't know. You might come up and the yeah. bar is at 2.5 meters and you're like, all right, that's a warm up. Like that's a. Wait, is, I thought 2.5 meters was like incredibly high. I don't know how this works. <laughs> okay. Why did you pick an event that you knew? <laughs> <laughs> okay, pole vaulting. Do you know heights for pole vaulting? No. <laughs> anyway, point is, imagine the height of the bar was set completely arbitrarily. Like, you didn't know. You would yeah. turn around and you're like, I can't do that. Yeah. And somebody else would come up and be like, that's reasonable. Okay, so what you're really saying is more like the height of the bar is, like, unknown. But you're just competing with, like, athletes who are of varying competency. Like you're like your pole vaulting next to an Olympian next to like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> Where does this, this, this analogy an- go? This analogy got away from me. <laughs> I am, I am sick and tired. <laughs> Universities tell me that I need to publish more when they're not creating an environment where I can publish more. And also I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And all, at the end of the day, it's like, it just goes back to for what, you yeah. know, all of this for what, for like, for money, I guess. Who's well, I mean, if, if you get grant, mine. if you get grant money, the university's like, all right, well, that's great, right? Like, okay, but but the thing is, like, if I got, and this is, 
This is how easily motivated I am. Um, if I got like 250 bucks for each paper I published, <laughs> just a little treat. Just a little treat. Like, that wouldn't even be sustainable, though. I, dude, I don't even care. Just, <laughs> just give me some. No, I mean for you to like live on $250 for a manuscript. Like how long do you have to work on those things no, for? No, and, and that's the thing. I don't need it to be sustainable, but just reward it. Other than like, okay, publish this thing. Now what? I guess. I guess. I mean, do you feel like part of that is also the culture trying to be like, it's not about like trying to almost take away the the joy of getting a publication because it's like downplaying how much it's really worth. And so that way you have to like keep doing more. I mean, let me, let me use another analogy that I hope is better than your pole vault one. So, <laughs> hmm. so like, it's like if you got a piece of candy. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow, this is such a nice treat, a little piece of candy. But everyone else was like, oh, like, that's just a piece of candy. Like, you, what you actually want is you want, like, a handful of candy. Yeah. Like, it's cool that you got one piece of candy, but you want a handful. And you're like, oh, I thought this was a nice thing, but I guess people are telling me that, like, I need way more. So I'm just going to keep, like, working for the pieces of candy. And then it makes each piece of candy worth that much less because you're like, there's another one's nice. And now I have, like, three or four, but people keep telling me that I need, like, 18 and so you know i i can't be happy about this yet and also if i don't get 18 pieces of candy i'm gonna get fired (laughs) (laughs) you're not fired your contract expires (laughs) it's fired that's that's a soft way of saying you're fired no i think i want to see what happens when we hit the ceiling there has to be Mm -hmm. we can't we can't keep ramping up Mm -hmm. yeah because and i mean during this pandemic it it sucks, but the people who benefited the most, and there were people who actually benefited in terms of their productivity from the pandemic, were people who didn't have family or childcare responsibilities. They were people who could pivot their research and didn't have to work with actual participants and could mm-hmm. do things like digital health. Like mm-hmm. Me. Um, yeah, I think and, that's such- and the fact that some people benefited from the pandemic and universities were like happy about that yeah they're like half of you are completely burnt out and on the verge of just full shutdown yeah but a small percentage of you seem to have risen to the top (laughs) you're like why is every day the hunger games like okay first of all it's like universities aren't explicitly saying hey you know you need to do work during the pandemic you know there's a very much this like uh, attitude that's been put out of like, you know, we need to be taking care of ourselves or, you know, our faculty, the health and mental health of our faculty are like top priority, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then at the same time, it's like you're kind of sending a mixed message when you're like, but also we have these COVID research grants that if you happen to be doing research during COVID and it's related to COVID, come on down. Like we'll give you X number of dollars just to keep doing research. Yeah. And it's like, mm, this ver- feels a bit. And remember, your evaluations are happening at the end of the year. So yeah. if you didn't get one of those coveted COVID grants, <laughs> um, your contract is not getting renewed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. And so I don't know. I think COVID has been I, I think this stuff is really much more salient for me because of COVID, mm-hmm. because of the fact that like in a time where the world is more or less on fire academia has not slowed down and in fact academia has instead pressed on the gas they've doubled down and been like look academics not this isn't a global pandemic this is an opportunity 
This is a research opportunity. This is a research opportunity. <laughs> it's the most perverse like iteration of look at the silver lining. Yeah, really though, really. It's not just look at the silver lining. It's like if you will follow the silver lining or you will not have a job. Publish the silver lining. Yeah. And like and I hate I hate that we, you know, through working very burning ourselves out basically through the pandemic. We have put ourselves in a position where we are now favorably viewed by this system, right? Yeah. Like, if we did not get out the publications that we have over the pandemic and worked really hard and spent a lot of time just at home, like, losing our minds in a way, yeah. then we wouldn't be in a position to have a lot of these different job opportunities, right? And also, I say job opportunities as if they're just, like, everywhere. Like, we, I'm very fortunate or we're very fortunate to feel like we have the opportunities we have right now, right? Yeah. Um, And so, you know, it's just, it feels very, like, how do we change a system, you know, that seems like irreparable at this point? Just know? throw out the whole system and <laughs> make a new one. At this point, it's like that one time I was trying to make sourdough for the first time. Okay. And I tried to keep fixing it. And eventually I just had to take the entire ball of dough and just chuck in the garbage and not ever try to make bread for the next three years. <laughs> I feel like that's what we need to do with universities. Just, just scrap the whole system. Okay, but okay, so is there a reason that we can't just switch to a different metric? No, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, that was like, there was no, no. It's like, no, absolutely not. We have demonstrated time and again that <laughs> we, we cannot be trusted. We can't be trusted with metrics. Yeah. We take a thing, you're like, wow, this is going to be a balanced approach to evaluate people's <laughs> research and their impact of their research. And then we take that and we just, just twist it and make people even more anxious. Yeah. And this metric just. <laughs> it's like almost like this. I feel like too, it almost feels like these metrics were invented or these metrics were developed with the best of intentions but what's ended up happening is that we have taken we've decided like oh we don't want to put in as much effort to actually evaluate these metrics for what they represent we just want to like make it easier for ourselves because there's just more and more people entering this field and so what once was like oh yes the number of publications matters but there's no, so like there's enough of them that we can actually read them. We can actually evaluate them. Now it's just like, yeah, we'll just use a number. There's like, dude, the guy has like 15. This is a hiring committee. I'm being like, I'm not being paid to be here. Give me like the minimum amount of F time and yeah. effort that you want from me so that I can just do this and then leave. Yeah, I uh, I saw a post from one of academics that I follow on Twitter. Mm -hmm. It was like. Now, after a full day of work, I have to go home and look over 100 job applications. Wow. Because I'm on a hiring committee and I stop myself. But what I wanted to reply with, imagine being one of those 100 people. Yeah. Like whose livelihood depends on you begrudgingly looking through their CVs yeah. and their teaching statements and yeah. their all of this other stuff. Yeah, and it actually reminds me of it. Reminds me so much of like the work that teachers have to put in. Yeah, where it's like, yeah, you spend the whole day at school teaching and you know managing your classroom, and then you go home and you have all this paperwork and all the work and prep work they have to do for the next day, and it's like, kind of just tragic that we pay them so little. At least you know in the states, there's obviously a lot of like controversy over this, right? Because teachers get paid you know a sliver over minimum wage, basically. Yeah, and like it's. 
I feel like it's beginning that way with academics now where, you know, if you want the tenure track, if you want the money, right, you're going to have to work for it. And the work that you put in is going to end up being basically the same as minimum wage. Right. And and it's interesting, right? Because you just said you're like, you're going to have to work for it. And I think what a lot of people misinterpret about academia is that like we don't want to work mm-hmm. we just want to get paid to sit in our office and read books mm-hmm. um and i don't think that's the case i think people want to work a normal amount mm-hmm. because if you're teaching a course and you're genuinely you care about the course right mm-hmm. you care about your students learning and you hold office hours and you prepare lectures and you're doing research that you care about, you're not just splicing your findings and pumping out papers, and you're also supervising graduate students. You are doing three full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you're getting, you're basically getting paid lower than minimum wage per hour. What we, we don't want to get paid our 100 Gs for doing nothing. We want to get paid our 100 Gs for mm-hmm. doing just 1.5 jobs. Like, <laughs> just like, one and a half. Just one and a half. Right. Like, don't, don't even lower it to one job. We get mm-hmm. it. Academia is hard. We're prepared for that. But it's getting insane. Yeah. Unreasonable. I, I you know, I, it's funny that you mentioned this idea of like laziness. Like, I was uh, replied to a tweet this morning kind of about laziness and how like people aren't, you know, people are being lazy because they're exhausted or whatever. And like, I would, I don't like the term laziness Mm -hmm. because I think laziness only exists in contrast to labor. Like, like we are lazy because we're not performing labor. We're not being productive, but the idea of being productive and the idea of like performing labor is socially constructed. We're like, like at its core, people forget like we're just animals, right? Like we're not, it's not like the Neanderthals. We're walking around being like, must research, you know, like must do accounting. Like all of life was research. Okay, like if you eat this, you die. If you, you don't eat it, you That's die. Called a case study, <laughs> right? But like here, it's we're de- creating these standards, and I say we, as in like as a whole, we keep pushing the standard higher because we keep trying to meet the last one, right? And so collectively, as academics, we are, you know, creating the standard of labor that is increasingly unrealistic, and we're like. Oh, deemed as lazy if we don't meet it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've, I've sent you a couple of articles about this, but in China, there is a reckoning happening with a lot of younger millennials. Slide down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They are except they want to position themselves as the lie down mm-hmm. generation. I'm going to do the bare minimum mm-hmm. and I'm just going to try to sustain myself the bare minimum, but I'm not going to you know, engage in this hyper-competitive environment of work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we want to be treated better, we as academics have to collectively do that. We're Mm -hmm. like, no, we're not. Like, you can artificially um, control what what the average output is. Mm -hmm. You can't. If we, hypothetically, in an ideal scenario, can all be like, we're not publishing more than four papers a year. Like, we're just not, right? Mm-hmm. Universities can't be like, no, the threshold to get tenure track is 20. Yeah. Because nobody's publishing 20. But the thing is, there's always going to be that one keener. And I guarantee you it's the kid who was like in elementary school being like, teacher, teacher, you forgot to assign homework. <laughs> and they're going to publish seven papers and they're going to get the tenure track position. Yeah, and because also, it's... 
And as a field, we're all so paranoid that we're like, somebody's going to do that. Yeah, so I have to course. publish nine, 10, 11. But like, that's exactly how like, like labor practices work, right? Like the union decides to go on strike. And then there's obviously the scabs who are like, well, the company's now offering like 1.5 times as much to pay me to do the work that, you know, these other people are doing. So they're going to basically, you know, I'm going to be making more money. They're going to lose money. I just find there's so many parallels. I've been really into this recently, but the, the parallels between just like labor, the laborer and the labor <laughs> the, the employer, employer, right? Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, very much worldwide, there's this labor shortage where people are just, you know, I think a lot of media positions that like people are just too lazy to work. There's these jobs that are like, you know, we can't find people to work for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think instead it's not that, you know, there aren't people are too lazy to work. It's like people are understanding that if I'm going to be spending the majority of my life doing a job, mm -hmm. right, either like some combination of that job has to be paying me well for the work that I'm doing. So I don't feel like I'm basically um, if I lose that job, I'm going to suffer for it. Right. Like my lifestyle mm -hmm. is going to suffer. and I have no security. It's got to be something I enjoy. Right. And it's got to be something that like does, you know, I feel like more and more does some good for the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I don't blame people for not wanting to take, you know, an 18 hour job at like a McDonald's, even though it's above minimum wage, because like, what like if they lose that job or the working conditions are really like crap, why would they want to do that? Yeah, but it's also like a lot of the jobs that are available now, they are in the service sector, which got hit the hardest with COVID, which saw the highest COVID rates. And mm -hmm. so you're basically like, oh, people don't want to work at McDonald's because like they might get COVID they might get COVID and we're not providing PPE yeah. or like sustaining any sort of sanitation practices how lazy do like you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when uh COVID classic uh when grocery store workers got paid extra because they were basically frontline workers right yeah and they got paid you know an extra I don't know how much it was but just to be, still work and be exposed because they was just understood that there was an inherent risk, risk involved. And now it's just like, nah, forget it. Everyone just go back. And then they took it away. Yeah, I know. They were like, I, I guess now we don't care that you get COVID. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I, all this to say, just like paralleling that with academia and it's like, kind of the same mentality. Like, obviously, we're not on the front lines and potentially going to get COVID, but it's more like it doesn't really matter what's happening with the world right now. It's expected that you will continue being productive, if not, like, just as much, if not more. Because yeah. metrics are everything. Metrics are everything. And, you know, I, I'm optimistic that hopefully something will, like, change, like a reckoning will happen. But as it stands, you know, the people who are in the most power to change something are unfortunately the people who are in the system and see benefit from the system, right? Like, I busted my ass for however long to get this position. Why am I going to go ahead and, like, you know, put that at risk now, right? Yeah. There has to be some solidarity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if we can do interdisciplinary research, guys, we can come together. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Thanks for tuning in to Sunday Service, the live stream of Grad School Confessional. Special thanks to my lovely co-host, Anna. 
If you miss this one live, tune in every other Sunday on twitch.tv slash gradschoolconfessional at 9am PST for the next one. And you can also listen to each live stream episode on our YouTube channel or anywhere you listen to our podcast. If you haven't already, give us a follow on Twitter and share us with your social network. And until next time, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Principal Investigator, Amen.